Hello and welcome back to SpinalCast. I'm your host, David Stevens, and joining us today are the Carmel brothers, David and Jason. David currently resides as the Chief Growth and Innovation Officer at the Foundation for the National Institutes of Health, and Jason is the Executive Director and Research Director of Movement Recovery Laboratory at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. David, Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Happy to be with you, David. Awesome. Well, as I kind of mentioned to you uh, before we jumped on the recording today, we're really going to um, just ask some questions about who the two of you are, what you've been up to, uh, your involvement in the SEI community and, uh, you know, things of that nature. If that sounds good, we'll go ahead and just jump into questions. Sounds great. Good. Perfect. Well, David, uh, if it's all right with you, I think um, the injury story might be a good place for us to start. Could you kind of tell us what happened and, um, you know, what age were the two of you when, when it all took place? Yeah, so I was injured in 1999. Um, yeah, I was 26 years old at the time, and I was living in Mexico. I had just gotten into Stanford Business School and had plan- was going there in the fall and was doing some travel in, in Mexico, learning Spanish. Awesome. And I had met some friends in uh, Sayulita, which is outside of Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle of the day, we were playing soccer on the beach and just ran into the water to, to cool off and did a shallow dive. And there was a sandbar under the water and I hit the top of my head and I was instantly paralyzed. So C6 injury. And um, luckily my friends were there and were able to get me out of the water. And um, like many people who are listening today, you know, you become a member of a a club that you never thought you'd be part of. And um, that was on April 17th, 1999. Well, I imagine it must've been absolutely terrifying for your friends as well. Um, were they able or aware or had any inclination that it might've been a neck injury? Um, and were they being protective of that or were they just getting you out of the water? I think initially getting me out of the water and then, um, one of the, one of my friends actually had been a lifeguard. So oh. he knew sort of what was going on and, and you can figure it out pretty quickly when they touch my leg or below the side of the injury and, you know, I can't feel it. So I think, I think there was a realization early on that I had a spinal cord injury. Right. Well, I'm sure that was a, uh, a scary, a scary thing to experience. Well, Jason, what were you doing when you found out about the injury? What, you know, where were you and and how did you find out? I was, uh, I was in my, um, very small apartment in New York City. Uh, I was a medical student actually at the time, a second year medical student and studying as medical students usually do. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, the, I mean, the information kind of came in and in, in fits and starts, you know, he's had an accident, can't move his legs. um, And then, you know, they're going to fly him out to California to um, undergo surgery and things like that. So it was, um, it was really frightening, yeah. uh, to hear a loved one, uh, you know, uh, has a severe accident like that. So I know you work kind of in the, the recover, well, 
clearly the movement recovery laboratory, but you work in the neurosciences field. Were you studying it when it happened? Was was that already something you were working on at the time? Uh, no, I mean, I, I was in medical school, so um, I was studying all sorts of, you know, the, all, all the different organ systems for uh, for medicine. Um, but uh, yeah, it was David's accident that got me interested in um, the science of nerve injury and recovery. Uh, our father is a neurosurgeon, so I, I wouldn't say that the apple has fallen so far from the tree. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, certainly I wouldn't have become a, a scientist and not a scientist in this area without that. Right. Well, and kind of that kind of, you know, is one of my other questions. You, you mentioned your father, uh, Peter. I know he was a neurosurgeon. Uh, do you think the injury had a particularly strong effect on him given his knowledge of the, of the, the industry and the injury? Yeah, I, I do. And I think part of it is he was the first phone call that I made um, mm-hmm. to him and to say, what do we do? And it was actually a friend of his at University of California, San Diego, who was the one we got in touch with once I could figure out that I could actually get to San Diego. Um, and he's the one who did the spine stabilization surgery. So, you know, my dad was really there from the beginning, sort of giving us advice as to, you know, where to go and, and what to do at that time. Yeah. And then, and then I think, you know, as it went on, I spent about a week in San Diego. I had two different surgeries mm-hmm. uh, to to stabilize my spine, and then a second surgery to remove some bone fragments. And uh, I was there for a week, and then flew back to New York, which is my hometown where I reside now, and did my inpatient rehab at Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, and you know, for my dad, I think it was obviously very helpful to me to have somebody with that level of expertise right. to take right. through the process. And also him feeling very helpless that he couldn't do more. Right. I, I can only imagine, especially when it's been your profession. And I don't know. I think there's this level of thought that it, it's never going to be me or us or we that are going to be dealing with this. And so I'm sure it would, would hit home quite, quite harshly. So did the injury affect your guys's relationship at all following the injury? Um, you know, how close were you at that time? I would say so. I mean, um, as David, um, alluded, you know, he, uh, he, um, went to, uh, school to graduate school and on the West coast, I had actually gone to undergrad at Stanford. And, um, so we had sort of flip flopped on the coast. So I, I think, you know, I think the the challenge of being a twin is, um, is, you know, trying to find your own identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in some ways we made our own decisions about which schools and where to live. Um, but I think after David's accident, it became, um, easier for us to be close together. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time together, uh, the year after his accident, um, and, um, have remained very close, uh, since. And, um, some of the, you know, I mean, there's a sibling rivalry is, is part of all, uh, 
you know, relationships, but I think there was, it was uh, more sibling and less rivalry after. Interesting. I, I appreciate that, that take on the situation. You know, we've heard some stories where it's, it's, it can be difficult because now a sibling isn't able to do what a sibling used to be able to do and they grow further apart. And it's great to hear that it was actually a story of coming together more so than, than growing apart. So, yeah, no, we, we definitely figured out ways to spend time together. And when I was at business school, for example, we did two different study trips and Jason came on the trips with me and my classmates from Stanford business school to both India and to Cuba. And he was there to help me out, but we got to have these really amazing travel experiences together that, yeah. Uh, he definitely, you know, that wouldn't have happened had it not been for my spinal cord injury. Right. Well, that we're actually hopefully going to be doing an episode in the near future in which we talk specifically about traveling uh, with paralysis and, you know, big international trips like that. I'm sure having a helping hand was uh, <laughs> really important and helpful. So, uh, yeah. So that both of those trips sound incredible, by the way. Um and I, I can only imagine the the memories that that were made on those on those on those trips. So let's kind of dive into the two of you professionally. Then, um, I, you know, based on the the small biographies that I was given uh, of both of you, you have some uh, impressive roles and careers that you've you've you know amassed over the years. Um, but both of you are kind of tar- still targeting the spinal cord injury um, field. Um, so. Could I just ask, let's start with David, maybe. Do you want to just kind of explain what it is that you do with the National Institutes of Health? Sure. So I'm at the foundation for the National Institutes of Health. Okay. We're a separate um, 501c3 organization that's there to really support the mission of of the NIH. And what we do are form public-private partnerships between the government including the NIH and FDA, along with the biopharma industry Mm. um, to really accelerate breakthroughs in really across disease spectrum. Um, And we've been in operation for about 27 years. We've done about three and a half billion dollars worth of these public-private partnerships, and Amazing. I'm the chief growth and innovation officer, which means I think a lot about sort of how we grow and in what areas we want to grow, um, and have really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, it's you know that's another thing that keeps coming up in these discussions and interviews that we have is as much progress is being made in research. The difficulty lies in getting that research into the hands of the people who need it uh, or getting those solutions or those assistances into the the hands of the people who need it or the people who are experiencing paralysis on a day in, day out basis. And so the fact that you are with an organization um, that is working so heavily to get those things implemented in a quicker fashion uh, is huge. Yeah, no, and, and, and Jason and I also work on you know, through other areas to really accelerate research. So we're both um, members of something called New Yorkers to Cure Paralysis. We are supporting a program in New York State that has a really 
elegant way to finance spinal cord injury research, which is using a surcharge on motor vehicle accidents, um, which is the leading cause of spinal cord injury mm. to fund the research. So it's eight and a half million dollars that's been um, flowing per year um, since 1998. And we are now trying to get actually an increase in that. And that funds some of Jason's basic research, but he's also gone ahead and, and formed a company that is hopefully bringing some of his research directly to patients. Perfect. Well, let's, that's like the perfect transition over to you, Jason. Let's, let's hear a little bit more about what you currently do in your role and you know what all do you have going on? Sure. I'm a neurologist and a neuroscientist. I work at Columbia University and I run an academic lab uh, where we try to understand how the brain and spinal cord partner to produce movement, how that gets affected by injury, and then how we can kind of strengthen those connections using electrical stimulation. Mm. So uh, we use uh, laboratory uh, animals to um, try to uncover the basic connections and the wiring of the nervous system um, and develop new therapies um, in, in, that, in that model. Uh, then we've been translating that, you know, as I, as I said, I'm a, a neurologist. And so we've been working in, in people as well, uh, trying to understand if the similar logic of how to restructure brain and spinal cord connections um, is, uh, is um, we're able to do that in people. Um, I do have a, a small role in a couple of companies. Um, one uh, called um, Backstop Neural is trying to um, create new spinal cord stimulators um, mm. that, uh, that conform particularly to the cervical spinal cord in that very narrow uh, space yeah. uh, above the spinal cord. Very cool. So, you know, based on both of your, your roles, um, it seems like you're kind of hitting the, the problem at hand from multiple directions. Um, and I think you both have a very unique and different insight into um, the SEI kind of, uh, I guess what I would call industry, as, as it were. Um, what challenges or successes have you experienced in your careers so far? Um, that, that you'd like to, I don't know, highlight or mention. And David, maybe we start with you to keep it, keep it <laughs> easy so no one's talking over each other. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, so for me, I've been in the biopharma industry for most of my career. So after I left Stanford Business School, I did a year as a White House fellow um, working on healthcare policy in the Treasury Department. But then from there, went to Pfizer and, and worked at Johnson & Johnson, and then in a, a series of smaller, both publicly traded and, and private biotech companies focused in the cell and gene therapy areas. Mm. So um, I've spent a lot of my career taking inventions from academia and elsewhere, um, sometimes licensing from companies, and really forming them into companies to try to bring them to patients. Um, so that's been, that's where I've spent a lot of my career. Um, you know, I, it's a very risky business. It's a very um, capital intensive business to take 
any of these therapies from idea to implementation. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's nothing more exciting than to try to develop something that's truly novel and, and bring it to people who really don't have, you know, other options or good options available to them. Right. What about you, Jason? Have there been any key successes or challenges that you've faced throughout your career? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you um, two kind of, you know, stories in science. Um, okay. One story has been the axon regeneration story, which is actually where I did my um, uh, PhD work uh, 20 years ago. And uh, I think the most off the, 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 the most frequent timeline that uh, regeneration biologists give about like sort of when things are going to be ready for prime time is five years. And that was 20 years ago. Uh, and wow. so lo- there's been lots of, there's been lots of um, advances from science. I can tell you all sorts of uh, particularly, you know, um, getting laboratory animals, you know, walking and, and moving better. Right. Um, but it's been, it's been a big challenge. And I think that, you know, across medicine, uh, nerve regeneration of, or, or regeneration in the central nervous system has been sort of a holy grail and kind of many people think of it as, uh, the, you know, last frontier in terms of what, what we're able to do in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, a more successful story has been taking um, the connections that are exi- that exist after oh, spinal cord oh. injury, and almost everybody with spinal cord injury has some connections from the brain or the spinal cord above the site of the injury uh, to below the site of the injury, and trying to to use electrical stimulation or other methods to engage those uh, weak connections, make them stronger, and um, you know, give people some function back and, mm-hmm. you know, the sorts of function that have, that people have documented getting back, uh, arm and hand function, breathing, uh, you know, autonomic function, being able to sit or bladder and bowel, bladder and bowel. So we're not there yet in terms of delivering, you know, um, a lot of people will ask what a cure looks like. And to me, it's about, how much function we're able to give to people with spinal cord injury. Uh, but now it's a modest amount of function to quite a few people. And, um, and, and we're really at the beginning of right. knowing how best to uh, apply it and, um, you know, the, the best protocols. So uh, I think that to me is, is a, a hugely exciting thing. Absolutely. We've actually spoken with a few, um, you know, scientists who have been working on, you know, the brain spines, brain spine stimulation and, and, um, things of that nature with where the science has gotten to now, what is kind of the next step for you? Um, beyond, I mean, are you just looking to make it uh, a more impactful connection that is being made, um, across these, you know, broken tethers as it were, or are you, where's kind of the next step going? Yeah. So a lot of the, I think a lot of the work that has attracted the most interest has been in epidural stimulation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really looking to boost the preserved function of the uninjured portion of the spinal cord below the injury site. Yeah. Our work is a little different in that we're really trying to get the brain and spinal cord to talk to each other and uh, engaging um, both the sort of go signal from the brain and the um, uh, and the spinal cord that receives that signal. 
Um, and so that's that's a sort of slightly different direction than than a lot of others have. But um, we're we're eager to, you know, we're constantly talking to our colleagues, uh, you know, uh, comparing ideas and trying to learn together as a community to bring function to people. Yeah, I think that's a a great point to make. That's I think another thing we we commonly hear is just this community. It is not a, I'm racing you to this and I'm not going to tell you anything because I want the credit. It's more like we all have great ideas. Why can't we just put all our heads together and try and get to, um, you know, providing real value to, to patients that need it. Um, and I, I applaud that because in most industries, that's just not the way it operates. There's competitive advantages and, you know, people trying to take angles and, and it sounds like the two of you and, and many other scientists in the field are, are much more interested in, in a positive outcome than in personal gain. So uh, thank you for that. Sure. Um, all right. Well, I, I think I have one final question for you, and that's, that's really where do you see spinal cord injury heading uh, now? Like the research that's being done, um, you know, 10 down 10 years down the road where do you see this this field heading to um and you know what are you excited about and david why don't we start with you again yeah so i think that there's a whole host of different therapies that i'm excited to see get into patients with spinal cord injury so it we've talked a lot today about um, spinal stimulation and that's definitely in the pole position at the moment but there's also cellular therapies, there's small molecules, there's robotics and exoskeletons, which, you know, are getting to the point where they actually should become functional for people with spinal cord injuries. And um, so I think all of those things are really exciting. And I think those of us in the spinal cord community really need to band together and really push for funding for for progress in these areas because i've been injured for 24 years and i'll say that you know the last two to three years have been just a totally different situation and i'm hoping i mean for me i have come to a life that i you know that is very fulfilling, mm -hmm. you know, despite having a, a spinal cord injury. But for the people who are newly injured, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to them having a variety of options. And you know, it's probably a combination therapy that's going to be helpful to people. Yeah, um, and it's exciting to to think about. And I'm certainly keeping my fingers crossed and you know, making sure that I, um, drive Jason to, to spend late nights in the gray <laughs> and all of that. Well, that's just being a good brother, you know, that's you got to right. do it. Have you ever gotten, had the opportunity to be part of a, a trial or any sort of treatment, um, for your own injury? So I, when I was in the hospital, I did, I was on a clinical trial for, um, one of the issues with spinal cord injury is is bone density loss. So um, they had us on a drug that 
is used for osteoporosis hmm. called pimidronate, and I was on that study. I don't think that that's used regularly in spinal cord injury, but for me, it's a drug that had been on the market and had shown quite a bit of safety data. And so I figured that there was very little downside to participating. And yeah, any, I, I think anybody who can and is willing to be in a clinical trial, I have a huge amount of admiration for because it's putting yourself out there on a therapy that's, you know, may not be fully proven. Mm -hmm. But that's the way that you make progress. And so, you know, I'd be very open to doing, to, to trying new therapies that are not very invasive or other things that, uh, you know, could potentially benefit. Awesome. Well, Jason, what about you? Where do you see the future of, you know, research heading and, and what are you most excited about coming down the road? I'll, I'll mention one thing that David, I don't think, mentioned in, in his, which was pretty comprehensive. Um, <clears throat> the nervous system has this really um, uh, interesting property of being able to use electrical signals for communication. Mm -hmm. And this bidirectional communication between the nervous system and computers is one that we're starting to see uh, being used to actually improve people's lives. Um, you know, we're seeing people who are have either high spinal cord injury or who are locked in, um, you know, controlling a uh, robotic arm. Right. Uh, the most important brain-computer interfacing project has been in people who can't speak um, and had used uh, sometimes like a laser pointer mounted to their the side of their head and spelling out words that you know you and I can speak at 140 words a minute or so, and they were spelling words at you know eight. Right. 12 16 words a minute. So now these, these grids over their brain can extract the electrical signals and have them communicating um, like almost as half as fast as, as uh, people who can speak, um, uh, you know, right. as these people did before their injuries. So, uh, but what incredible progress, even just half the speed is like remarkable, I'm sure. Absolutely amazing. And, uh, and, I think that um, I think that people with spinal cord injuries are going to be poised to um, uh, to have all sorts of interfaces with their uh, either their nervous system or their muscles in order to understand what it is they want to do to enhance um, those movements potentially by controlling a robot or by stimulating um, you know the nerve or the muscle mm -hmm. um, and. You know, a lot of this has been enabled through uh, the computing power and the algorithms that um, enable us to take, you know, weak or sparse signals and make sense of them. Uh, and so I think that that's a very exciting uh, area and one that, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of the merger of sort of man and machine um, is, you know, we're getting close to, closer to that and I think is something that we're going to see. Uh, imp improvements in people's lives, you know, within our lifetime. Yeah, I think, David, you even mentioned, you know, it's going to be a combination of therapies likely for people who experience injuries. And I think the general public, especially if you're like the Martin Cure Paralysis Fund and you're, you know, searching for donations or people to be in support, 
there's this idea in their head that there's going to be a cure-all for spinal cord injuries. Like, uh, I'm going to get this surgery or I'm going to give you this pill and you'll be fine and walking again. And uh, I think a lot of the people we've spoken with are of the same opinion that it's just unlikely that a, a cure-all is going to be found in the next 10 years, but some significant, significant life improvements are, are on the horizon um, and, and quickly coming to those who need it. And so um, I think that's just, it's exciting to continue to hear progress from people like you who are, you know, in the trenches every day and, and making it happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think that really kind of covers all the questions that I had for today. Um, I do want to, absolutely. What, what was I have, that? I have one more thing that I think would interest your listeners. You're based in, in Minnesota. And um, yeah, one of the things that David and I have done together has been to advocate for spinal cord injury funding uh, through the state. And so um, the program that um, he mentioned is that, um, you know, puts the traffic tickets yeah. uh, towards um, spinal injury research is happening in Minnesota as well. Um, and, you know, people are often, people often feel frustrated. I have someone I love, somebody I know who, um, who has a spinal cord injury. And I think that probably there's no better uh, place for you to put your in, your uh, energy into than, um, than advocating. Uh, you know, for us, it's actually been, you asked sort of what, what things have actually worked in, after the financial crisis, New York State took the the funding away, mm. and David and I were part of the group that um, uh, were able to get the money restored. And um, so, you know, getting um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, or you know, in New York State's case, millions of dollars a year for spinal cord injury research, is is an enormous set of, source of funding, and can really accelerate the field. So, if people are feeling um, sort of, you know, wondering what they can do for the cause. Yeah. Uh, that is a really great way of getting involved. Well, and that it's a great caveat to another episode we did. We actually interviewed a gentleman named Matthew Roderick, who is, yeah, Matthew, uh, yes. yeah. And so he, he talked a lot about that effort, um, after his son's injury and yeah. his commitment to, to finding, um, you know, ways to get more large scale funding from, from the Minnesota government. So, that's awesome. It's a small world when you, everybody knows everybody, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, well, on behalf of everyone here at MCPF, um, I think we just want to thank both of you for your commitment to the SCI community um, and the pursuit of, of a cure or, or even just treatments to make lives of people with paralysis better. Um, and uh, really, uh, it's just been fantastic to talk to you. I'm going to do a quick shout out to everybody watching at home. If you're watching us on YouTube, you know, always hit that subscribe button, like icon or, or uh, bell icon so you know when new episodes drop. Listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, you could always give us a follow. Um, but David and Jason, thank you again for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks, David. And thanks to everything that you do. Oh, absolutely. I'm just happy to be part of it. I get to meet incredibly interesting people um and talk about something that i i have found myself surprisingly passionate about um and it's it's really cool to be part of something that's moving so quickly um as you mentioned the last three five years have been um i 
I would argue astronomical in the advancements that have been made in comparison to, you know, when I was a little tyke running around. So, um, it's just been awesome to be a part of it. So I appreciate that. Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye guys.